Let's cut through the mainstream financial advice out there. This is your quick financial tip from your rich uncle. We got our first question here. Other ways you can defer capital gains from real estate besides 1031 exchanges and opportunity funds. I'm not a huge fan of either of these opportunity funds or this. You can Google all about it. But the thing about the opportunity fund is you're investing in crappy areas. Why the heck would you want to invest in crappy areas that the government has deemed an opportunity fund where they want to help funnel money in because the area sucks? That's just not the way I want to invest. I want to invest in good, solid, stable areas where there might be a problem with the management of the property or the management is distressed, not any particular issue with the property, and especially not an issue with the area, which is what the opportunity zone is all about. Of course, from time to time, you can find an opportunity zone with a Starbucks in it that's an outlier of the map, but not a big fan of those. Uh, and then 1031 exchanges, again, I don't know why anybody really does 1031 exchanges. 1031 exchanges, you got this timeline, you got to have 45 days to identify all your properties. If you're buying like lukewarm, crappy deals, then yeah, you can go into whatever you want. But if not, you're a distressed buyer. And when we're selling our apartments, we love when we have a... 1031 buyer because we know that they're distressed and they're typically unsophisticated. Most 1031 exchange people just have a lot of money and they don't really understand how taxes work. How do you defer capital gains or how I do it? I go into a lot of syndication deals that do cost segregations. Not all of them will do it, but if you go into a dozen of them like how I do, you're going to pick up these, you're going to pick up several hundred thousand dollars of passive activity losses. And you're going to be able to hold them and, and they're going to be suspended passive losses until you use them to offset ordinary income. I probably should stop and say that I'm not a CPA, but look, I don't pay too much taxes. You can go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash tax and I put up my tax returns there and you can check out how much taxes I've been paying these last several years. And in uh, 2019, I didn't pay anything. I drove up my adjusted gross income down to 25 grand. And part of that is by driving my creating more passive income instead of ordinary income so I can use my passive losses to offset that. If you have, the hard part is transitioning from the traditional way of investing, um, not only 401ks, mutual funds, but traditional way of real estate investing and into the more passive tax advantage way that we like to teach our folks. And so the transition is the hard part. And that's really where the family office of HANA Mastermind comes into play. That's where we source the best practices to do this. But in a nutshell, what you're trying to do is you're trying to build up enough passive activity losses so you, when you do sell your property and you can offset that, pull down your suspended passive losses and offset those gains right in that one transaction. Case in point, I did this back in 2017 when I sold off, I believe seven of my rentals and I had a $200,000 capital gain that, which would have sucked, right? That's a capital gain. and also had to pay back the depreciation capture on that because I had owned those properties for several years, depreciating the properties over that time. But I had been going into syndication deals prior and I had built up several hundred thousand dollars of passive activity losses, which I used to offset it one for one. If you look at, again, go back to that website, simplepassivecashflow.com slash tap, you can actually see where there's a little emoji that says thumbs down to 1031 exchanges exactly because of this, being able to use passive activity losses in this fashion. And the reason I don't like 1031 exchanges, you're a distressed seller. Everybody knows you're a sucker because you're doing one of these things and you're going to get abused. And a lot of times you're going to be abused on the buying end when you're exchanging the property. Everybody knows you need to buy. If not, you're going to pay the 
the government both of the taxes. So you're usually going to pay 10% over market price. If you don't think you are, you're probably the sum that isn't aware of this. And then sophisticated investors, they don't want to put all their eggs in one basket. And this is what's very typical when you see these people running around with large capital gains, $100,000 to just a couple million dollars of capital gain. Likely they have a huge chunk of their net worth. I'm a big advocate that you don't want to have any more than five or 10% of your net worth in any one deal because things happen and it's good to be diversified. Another, you want to spread your eggs all, of, all around and not be too leveraged thing right there. Thanks, Bruce. Lane is not a lawyer, CPA, but the dude did quit his engineering job and now owns thousands of rental properties. Learn more about the secrets of the wealthy. Join our community at thewealthelevator.com slash club. And if you're looking for a longer form podcast, also subscribe to the Wealth Elevator podcast.